1: So, our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So
2: where, are these your notes?
1: These
2: are these your notes about what we're going to say. Um, <laughs> Anything. Just a short answer. <laughs> so, how many novels did you not finish? Oh my Probably. God, so many. <laughs> 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 it
0: was perfect. What's she talking about? This is not a case. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. <laughs>
2: this is it, guys. The big secret <laughs> to getting published <laughs> is you have to write a good book. <laughs> 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 I'm here first.
0: We're going say- <laughs> to Hello,
2: and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. My guest today is Editorial Director for Picture Books at Bloomsbury, and is also now a published children's author with her debut novel, Greenwild. It's Parry Thompson. Hi.
1: Hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me onto the podcast.
2: Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for coming on. And um, well, let's start with the the exciting thing. Um, Out June first, your debut novel. So it's not out as of us recording this, but it will be out by the time it goes live. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, um, it's uh, it's called Green Wild, as as you already uh, mentioned. It's a middle grade fantasy novel, and it's about a girl called Daisy Thistledown. She's eleven years old, and She is sent to a horrible boarding school when her mother, who is a glamorous journalist, goes off to investigate a dangerous story somewhere in Peru. And then when her mother goes missing in the depths of the Amazon rainforest, Daisy knows that she has to escape from boarding school and go and look for her missing mother and in the process she discovers a hidden world that exists alongside our own and this world is called the green wild and inside the green Wild is a world of green magic a place where plants are magic and there are all sorts of amazing things to be discovered including the truth about um, what has happened to her mother uh, so it, it's, it's a, it's a sort of fantasy adventure. It's got magic, it's got, um, family, it's got friendship, it's got, um, trees that grow milk chocolate. Um, <laughs> it's got a very grumpy cat. Um, nice. all, all, all all the things that I enjoy in life. Um, yeah. it was, it was, it was a real joy to write it and I'm very excited for people to, to read it.
2: Well, that, it sounds like it has everything you would possibly want in a children's fantasy adventure. And it also, um, greatly features Kew Gardens.
1: It does indeed. Yes. Um, so I'm lucky enough to live quite near Kew Gardens and, um, I've spent many hours wandering around and looking at all of the amazing glass houses and thinking that, uh, lots of the plants and trees there really are kind of, um, you know, stranger than fiction. You you couldn't make them up, and yeah. it really got me thinking. You know, what if uh, you had a sort of magical version of Kew Gardens, and what if you had magical botanists who could do plant magic, and what if all of all of the plants really were magic, and the um, the sort of doorway. Um, that Daisy, my main character, passes through to get into the Green Wild, is through it is sort of hidden in the depths of the palm house in Kew Gardens. So there are yeah. there are sort of many doorways hidden all around the world, you know, doorways in every country, and, and the doorway in London is is hidden in Kew Gardens. Of course. Uh,
2: so of course. You Where know, else it makes would it perfect be? sense, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so was it sort of was the sort of inception of this story, did it come from you you just kind of like your experience of being in Kew Gardens?
1: Yes, I think I think so. I think um I've sort of had in my head for for a long time the idea of a magical world with sort of magical glass houses and, and magical plants. And I think that I I loved the idea of, you know, taking that metaphor of, of nature being a bit magic because anyone who's watched, you know, a David Attenborough documentary or or kind of um, spent any time looking at the way that a sunflower turns its head throughout the day to follow the sun, you know, you kind of think it is a little bit magic. How does it, how does it all, how does it all work? So I love the idea of sort of taking that and actually kind of literalizing it and just going, yeah, like it really is magic. And, um, and, and I think also there's an element of kind of Escapism there. I, I started writing it during lockdown, and I think I loved the idea of an adventure that would take you into another world. And also, I sort of tapped into a little bit my own childhood, uh, because when I was 11, I was sent to a boarding school, which I absolutely hated. Um, oh. I was I was very unhappy there. And I used to um, fantasize about running away and escaping. Oh. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I think I've sort of channeled my my own sort of 11-year-old boarding school escape fantasies in, into this book, <laughs> um, which made it sort of extra specially satisfying to write.
2: Yes I think um people often say that the the uh, the debut novel for for most people is the most um autobiographical
1: Yes I'm sure that's true
2: <laughs> <laughs> And this book also features some um beautiful illustrations um by Elisa Paganelli I'm always curious when it comes to illustrations with with books um at what point they're sort of conceived? Like did you, whilst you were writing it, did you have ideas for illustrating certain parts of it?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, So actually I, I, as I was writing it, I wasn't thinking of it as something that was ever going to be published. I was very much writing it <laughs> okay. for my for myself as as a sort of pleasant um sort of brain holiday diversion mm-hmm. um, excursion in 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 my imagination. I never expected that it, it would end up being published and it was actually only because I gave it to my dad to read and he sort of encouraged me to do something with it um, so i I actually wasn't kind of ever thinking that it would it would be illustrate you know published let alone illustrated um so actually that whole part of it has been a real joy because it was so unexpected and and I feel like I got incredibly lucky that you know Elisa agreed to to illustrate the book because she is just absolutely one of the most talented and inspiring illustrators out there and for her to kind of lend her talents to the book and, and bring the world of Greenwild to life was completely surreal and, and wonderful. And actually, you know, I think um, in terms of which scenes uh, were chosen, it was really sort of um, Macmillan, my amazing publishers, who sort of went through and, and pulled out key moments that, that they thought might be good. And, um, we kind of had a bit of back and forth and, um, a bit of discussion about, you know, were we missing anything key that, that felt like a really kind of, um, apt episode or, or, or kind of adventure yeah. that, that we wanted to see illustrated. And, and then kind of Elisa really just sort of took that and, and ran with it in an amazing way.
2: Yeah, no, it, it really does add something to those kind of, and you can see why you've chosen those specific, um, points throughout the book. Am I right in thinking, I was going to ask, have you, is writing, like, I know that you, you obviously work um, full-time in, in publishing. Uh, I was going to ask, is writing something that you've always done in the background, but based on what, you, what it sounds like happened with this book, is this the first time that you'd written a, a novel?
1: It, it is, yeah. You know, unless you count sort of um, my attempt, age seven, to write.
2: No. <laughs> I don't know if we'll yeah. count that.
1: <laughs> the, the grand adventures of, uh, I was, I was, um, a big fan of the Red Wall book. So, oh, yeah. um, my, my, uh, my attempts at writing anything at those times probably would have featured a full cast of mice and hedgehogs. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: so, um, it, yes, this was my first attempt to write anything. I'd sort of always wanted to write, but I had never had the time. And actually I I'm sure that, This is, uh, you know, a cliche that, you know, many, many people will have said the same thing. But, um, you know, lockdown just suddenly opened up previously unsuspected uh, kind of uh, tracts of time um, in which actually you could, you could do something like just write for a few hours a day. And I I just never really um, had the luxury of of being able to do that before.
2: But here we are, and now it's being published and you're probably going to have to, do it again
1: well yes that, that is um <laughs> that is a, a very good point so green is the first in a trilogy um i'm incredibly lucky that that uh i uh have sort of two more books in the story that i can write and um I have just finished writing the very, very first draft of book two and I can tell you it was a different experience writing <laughs> it now than it was writing book one during lockdown. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, e- equally fun, but a little bit more, um, more time pressured.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. People, are, I think it's very common. Uh, lots of the authors that I've spoken to have said book two is a very different and, and in some ways more kind of scary and daunting experience because you have a, time limit and you have people they are helping you but at the same time it's like people are there sort of like uh when's the you know when's the next bit going to be done are we we on time are we on schedule kind of thing
1: yeah yeah exactly that experience of actually someone waiting for it rather than it just being you know exactly um, (laughs) yeah
2: which you must be somewhat used to from your role in editorial on the other side being the person waiting for it
1: Yes, it's actually been such a fascinating experience being on the, the other side of, of the line. Um, and I, I have to say, it's given me a, a whole new insight into what my authors go through um, <laughs> all, all the time. And, and I kind of feel like it, it's like some kind of great karmic retribution for all the times that I've, you know, <laughs> nudged someone on a deadline. I'm <laughs> now <laughs> experiencing it for myself. Um, but yes, Um, but of course
2: that's in your editorial director within um picture books and and do you do anything beyond or is it just picture books uh
1: yes so i i work on sort of um it basically sort of illustrated um books for sort of i guess anywhere from age naught to about Six or seven. So yeah, uh-huh. it, is, it is very much focused on picture books, which is um, a kind of very joyful and, and inspiring place to work actually. And um, I think for anyone who loves both words and pictures, it's, it's a really wonderful job to have because it's equal parts word related and visual, which is lovely
2: was there ever a part of you that thought maybe I will try doing a picture book instead of just kind of going straight into a full kind of prose manuscript?
1: Actually that never occurred to me and I think it's because um the discipline of writing a picture book I'm convinced it's it's far harder to write than middle grade uh it is something about the compression of the form your word count is so limited that each word you know, has to be absolutely pitch perfect, and the people who do it well uh, are real artists. And I'm, I'm not sure I could do it. I, um, I, I, uh, <laughs> I um, I, I love editing picture books, and I love working with uh, my picture book authors. And I'm continually in awe of their talents.
2: Yes, I mean it, it's sort of like a yeah, picture books. Although you know, you can read them, and ostensibly you're like, oh, well, this is a very simple clear easy to write thing the creation of that is such an intricate puzzle of like very carefully thought out and calculated design and spacing and like each word choice as you say is down to you know the 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 decibels the 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 number of syllables and things like that Mm. it's it's so highly thought out
1: yeah absolutely and I think you know the mark of a good picture book is that it it looks and seems effortless, um, and you, as a reader, don't have an inkling of all of the uh, the work that will have gone on behind the scenes to make it feel that kind of um, uh, without effort.
2: Exactly, that's it. Like when you read a really good novel, and you think, "Oh no, the, the you know, it's not the prose isn't very fancy and flowery, and it's very easy to follow, and things like that." And like that's such a skill to be able it to is. write. It's something that reads very simply, but actually conveys complex emotions on many levels.
1: Yeah, it really is. I, um, I couldn't agree more.
2: Let's get back onto you. Um, it's always great to have industry folks, um, on the podcast. So, um, you were, you were recently promoted to editorial director, previously senior commissioning editor. For your, for your for your current role editorial director what in sort of simple terms what's the crux of the role what's the day-to-day that that you're up to
1: yeah that's a really good question um and one that i i'll, I'll try my best to answer um <laughs> see see if even i know what my job is <laughs>
2: that'd um,
0: be good <laughs>
1: yes so um
0: pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra
1: You know, uh, there is a strong commissioning element as there was in my previous role. So there's a lot of reading of submissions and signing up and um, sort of pitching of texts to the wider company that, you know, I think are amazing picture books that we want on the list. Um, And then I'm also very involved in the process of finding the right illustrator for each text. So in a lot of ways, there's a kind of matchmaking element to the job, finding the exact right, um, the exact right artist to to go with with the story. And there is a kind of um, sort of chemistry or kind of magic that happens when you get the right match of text and illustrator. That is really exciting. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, I work in a very hands-on way to edit the text with the author with our amazing design team to sort of brief the text to the illustrator, and then you kind of get the roughs in, and then you get the artwork in. And actually, that's one of the best bits of the job is when sort of new artwork lands in your inbox, and you think, okay, today, today is going to be a good day. Um, Because uh, there's kind of a real joy in, in seeing what another person's imagination has brought to a text um and kind of how they bring it to life Um, so there's there's a lot of that and then you know along running alongside um that kind of more creative side there's a sort of slightly more analytical side which is about okay you know what's working in the market what's the shape of the list what's our strategy what do we need to commission Um, you know what are the what are the numbers here in a sort of slightly more hard headed way, yeah. uh, so it, it's a really good balance of those two things. And I think one of the things that I love about it is that no two days are the same. I might be in a covers meeting, kind of having a really serious discussion with the sales team about you know why we definitely need more gold foil and sparkle on that cover, <laughs> um, or I could be you know having a meeting with an author talking about ideas for their next, um, picture book, or, um, I could be in a more kind of numbery financey salesy meeting. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's okay. a whole, um, range of things and it's sort of unpredictable and, and, and always unexpected and fun.
2: Okay. Sounds great. I mean, I- any role where you can you do the full range where from creative to analytical, I think is always always a fun experience. Always changing, always something new. Definitely. Based on what you just said and looking at the book in front of me, are you very pro gold foil on books?
1: Do you know? I have to say, um, I was so delighted when Macmillan said that they were <laughs> thinking about putting gold foil on the cover um, because I think I'm definitely a bit of a magpie in the sense that um, I like, I like, uh, I like sparkly things. Yeah. Um, and it is, you know, they, they've uh, the Macmillan design team and and Elise have done the most amazing job on the cover, and um, it, it really does look beautiful. Um, does, and yeah. the other thing that pleases me um, a lot about the, um, the book in its finished form is that it has a map on the end papers. Yes. Um, and this is something that makes me so happy because when <laughs> I was a child and I was such a huge bookworm, I read everything, but I knew that when I opened a book and it had a map at the start, I knew it was going mm-hmm. to be a good book. And I still remember my um, – I still have actually my uh, – copies of the Chronicles of Narnia and I remember the wonderful maps um at the start of them and uh, that kind of feeling of okay here we go um we're about to step into a wonderful adventure so um that that really is a kind of childhood dream come true that um, (laughs) that my book has a map in it it's wonderful
2: yeah as someone who reads a lot of fantasy that there, there's definitely a feeling that if i open a book and there's not a map at the start i'm a, I'm a little bit dis. i'm like oh yeah <laughs>
1: no i know i'm the, <laughs> missing a trick definitely
2: <laughs> yeah i mean you know unless it's set in the real world contemporary and it's just a map of the uk and you're like well okay <laughs> um yeah. jumping back into into what we were just talking about the you, you were saying Sometimes your job can be quite analytical and you're looking at markets and things like that. Interesting things happening in publishing at the moment, especially with, I mean, this is not um, new, but uh, the kind of roller coaster that is TikTok and BookTok has, has sort of made trends a very prevalent thing within the industry, especially in um, like young adult. Are there, is, Are there sort of big trends that influence picture books in the same way?
1: that's a really good question um i would say that um the pitch book market is uh probably slightly more insulated than most mm-hmm. um from the tiktok phenomenon just uh, well, yeah. <laughs> just because the consumers are, are probably less likely to to be on it um but uh, at the same time you know i i think you definitely do see kind of waves of different things i think we've had um a few years of Some really wonderful and inspiring, quite sort of um, message-based picture books, for sure. Um, A lot of picture books about sort of tackling worry and anxiety for small children, I think is definitely something that we've seen. And that's not surprising, given the last few years that we've had. Um, And I think a lot of the discussions that I'm now having with other publishers and with agents is about kind of a need for picture books also that are just purely silly and joyful and escapist and maybe don't necessarily need to have uh, a very strong message attached to them, but are just going to be books that, you know, parents and small children are just going to have a lot of fun reading together. And of course, I think the other trend, you know, and I think this is across the whole industry is about kind of um, increasing the kind of representation on the list and making sure that the authors and illustrators who we publish, uh, and the characters and the stories that they tell, are kind of a good reflection of the society that we're all living in. And I think that is, and you know, rightly continues to be a, a very important um, concern.
2: Yes, yeah, indeed. And when you talk about having not not having a message, I think this some books do a great job um, of sort of having a message but without sort of hitting you over the head with it. And yes. I mean in in many ways, Green World has a sort of strong ecological message, but it's not you don't whilst reading it, you don't think, oh, this is very like pushing save the planet kind of um themes upon me.
1: Oh, I'm I'm really glad you said that. I um <laughs> I definitely wanted it to to not feel sort of um too messagey or too sort of um patronizing i remember very yeah. clearly as a child that the thing that would put me off most in a book would be feeling that i was being spoken down to in some way or kind of dictated to and i think you know the best children's books are books that you know meet meet the child on their own level and don't underestimate the kind of ferocious intelligence and perspicacity of of child readers you know that's why you know something like um you know his dark materials is so wonderful and thrilling to read, you know, I remember reading it as a sort of 10, 11 year old and I loved it because I felt that it, it expected me to to step up to its level. And that was a really thrilling and exciting place to be.
2: Yeah, I do. I've always thought that um, historically, His Dark Materials was, was sold in an age group that was slightly too young for the actual age that it should be sold for. Do you mm. know what I mean?
1: Yes, I know what you mean. I think now I wonder if it would be marketed more as a YA, but, um, I
2: do see it in bookshops. They put it in the YA section now.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I'm kind of glad that I, I read it when I did, Mm. because I felt that it was one of those things that, that really kind of, you know, opened up your kind of sense of what books could do in, in a really exciting way.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true, and uh, and also, you know, putting an age on a on a book is sort of um, such a loose guideline because everyone reads at a different pace, at a different, um, you know, uh, everyone definitely. wants to consume different things at different times. So, definitely, getting back onto onto you, uh, let's talk about the the difference between. So, you you obviously have spent a lot of time, very experienced. You know the ins and outs of how picture books work and, and, and kind of going through from pick first, picking up an author all the way through to that being published. Um, was it, um, what you expected when you went through it with, with Greenwald, this book, this, this middle grade, um, fantasy novel, was it kind of very different or kind of as you expected?
1: Um, actually I think I didn't know what to expect um, because <laughs> even though I kind of knew, as you say, a lot of the the mechanics of how it would all work, I think mm-hmm. what I didn't expect was, you know, how it would feel when it was um, kind of to do with my own book. Yeah. And, um, and I think uh, it's been a real joy kind of working with an editor um, and kind of experiencing that from the other side, um, kind of had, uh, had kind of uh, things that were kind of challenging and rewarding that, that I I hadn't anticipated. Um, in kind of, in kind of a good way, I think, you know, having an editor challenge you to kind of, um, you know, make your writing the the best it can be. And I think I was very lucky in that, the book is being published by Macmillan in the US and in the UK. So I actually had two editors, which was something that I, I, um, you know, hadn't occurred to me would would happen. <laughs> so there were kind of two two sets of feedbacks and and two sets of comments on each on each draft, um, and kind of two sets of proofreads and two sets of copy edits. Um, so it, it kind of proliferated in a way that I hadn't expected. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So that Are was they- very interesting.
2: Are they, do, do they, are they, are they the same or they're sort of two slightly different versions for US-UK?
1: Uh, they're, they're almost identical. Um, okay. it's just, it's, it's things like, um, you know, the, the spelling and vocab and, vocab and yeah. exactly, um, you know, like sweater versus jumper and, and, mm-hmm. and all of those kind of details. Sidewalk. Um, yes, and and sort of um, different commas. Um, I've spent a, a, a lot of time, much more time than I would have expected at, at the start of the process, discussing commas.
0: Um,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, I didn't realize it was so, so wildly uh, different.
1: Yeah, it's um, so it's been it's been a real kind of education, and um, uh, but also a real kind of privilege to to work with with two editors who both have such a good sense of what works for their different markets.
2: Oh, great. That sounds, yeah, that's really good. And always interesting to get those perspectives from different markets as, as someone who, I imagine you, you focus mainly on the UK market. So the picture yeah. book market would be very different in the US. So I guess that would be really interesting. Yeah, to yeah. See how that would work. yeah,
1: exactly. They, they are two incredibly different markets and, um, actually, especially in, in the picture book sphere, I feel that in, in, in sort of the, especially the YA arena, uh, especially Cause a lot of it is kind of U S generated or it's kind of easier for it to travel, as you say, mm. kind of globally via, you know, social media and things like, like TikTok for that age group, there tends to be a lot more crossover, but you know, especially for picture books, it's, um, it, it's fascinating to see kind of what works in the U S versus what works here.
2: Yes. And sort of confusing. Cause you're like, no, but this has been really good for us. Like, and it just doesn't yeah. work there. I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly exactly
2: before we get to what is always the final question um i'd love to ask uh as someone who is um in the industry and has has been around picture books for a long time for anyone listening who is thinking about or has or has written or, or is writing picture books what advice would you give them in terms of breaking into what is a very um tough nut to crack with picture books
1: yeah, that's a great question. As you say, it, it is a tough, tough one. Um, I think partly because it is, it's very competitive. Um, mm. a lot of people perhaps because, uh, it's such a short format. Um, a lot of people are trying to write picture books. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it is a real art form. Um, and, uh, it's very hard to do it well. Um, I would say it's definitely worth, um, this probably is a very obvious thing to say, but, you know, um, sort of seeking out and, and reading and and learning from, from the greats. So, you know, go, go back to, you know, the, the real classics, um, whether that's, you know, something like, um, the very hungry caterpillar or where the wild things are, or, Mm -hmm. you know, Julia Donaldson, um, she's great for a reason. She, she really knows what she's doing with, uh, with yeah. the rhythm and the rhyme. And, and I think there are also some amazing mentoring schemes, um, that are definitely worth looking into, uh, and that, you know, are run by agencies and, um, and publishers. So I think those are definitely worth, um, doing. I know that on the illustration side, there's, uh, a, a scheme called the picture hook scheme where you can, as an illustrator, sign up to be mentored by a, uh, kind of working successful illustrator for a year so you know there, there are all sorts of things to seek out that can kind of help give you a leg up and beyond that I would say that you know as you write you have to bear in mind always it has to be in your mind as a picture book writer that you are writing something that is going to be illustrated so you need to leave space for the illustrations to to do their work um, and it is really a sort of uh joint enterprise I would say um between the, the text and the illustration so the art of a really good picture book is is a text that kind of almost doesn't overcrowd but um that that leaves those pauses where the artwork can kind of step in and, and do its magic.
2: Yes that sounds that's I've, no, I've never written picture books or, or dared to try because as you say it sounds very difficult but that does sound like a very good uh thing to keep in mind whilst you are whilst you are making your creation so hopefully that's that's useful for anyone listening who is in the picture book world and that brings us on to the final question which as always is parry if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book which book would it be
1: I have agonised over this question. Um, <laughs> it's so incredibly difficult to answer. Yeah,
2: it's just not fair. Um, really.
1: I know it, it's very, very <laughs> difficult. Um, I think that um, I, I, I thought about saying "Journey to the River Sea." It's a book that I. Um, I loved when I was growing up by a wonderful author called Eva Ibbotson um and it's about an, a girl called Maya she's an orphan who's sent to live with uh, with her um relatives uh in the Amazon rainforest and um that kind of sense of adventure um even though it's sort of rooted in very much in the real world um was very much kind of inspiring to me as I was writing my own books. So I would I would definitely um, encourage anyone who hasn't had the pleasure of reading that to, to go out to seek it out and, and find it. I also thought about um, taking a book by Diana Wynne-Jones, who's another mm-hmm. one of my uh, sort of all-time favorite children's authors. And I think my favorite of her books is Howl's Moving Castle, which a lot yeah. of people will have come across um because of the uh completely wonderful studio Ghibli adaptation but um yeah. if you haven't read it, the book is also completely magical um and It's about a girl called um sophie who uh is kind of um cursed or enchanted into the form of a a, a sort of old old crone she lives in a, a sort of fairy tale world and she has to find a way to um to break this curse and, and sort of find her, find her way back to her own, um, uh, true, true self. And there's a very sort of, um, characterful wizard called, called Howl who lives in a, a sort of castle that, that, that travels all over the place. And, and I think for sheer fantasticalness and imagination and kind of sense of, um, invention and delight—it's a very hard one to beat um, yeah. for 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 middle grade, um, and I think it would be a, a wonderful book to have with you on a desert island.
2: I completely agree. What a, what a great choice as well. I'd not even um, I'd not thought about. It. We've never had that on the on the podcast before. So How's Moving Castle? That's a great a great choice. I endorse this message. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Parry, for coming on the podcast and telling us all about your 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 brand new book, um, Green World, the world Be- is it the world behind the door? That's right. Um, part one of three. Uh, it's been really amazing chatting with you about that and hearing all about your work in publishing in editorial. It's been great. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up with what Parry is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at Parry Thompson. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on all socials and support us over on Patreon. And for more Bookish Chat, you can check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Troves. Thanks again to Parry and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or Mc Sandwich.